Would you please take your Bible, if you have it with you, and turn to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, specifically verse 4. We're going to spend most of our time with verse 4. The Life Application Study Bible says that if our faith in Christ is real, it will usually prove itself at home in our relationships with those who know us best. Because let's face it, you can come here and be nice to people and act right and look right and talk right for an hour and a half on Sunday. But the people you live with see you the rest of the week. And they know what happens when you stub your toe. And they know what happens when the car won't start. And they know what happens when you're hungry and whatever was in the oven just got extra done. So our loved ones see us at our worst and our best and love us anyway. But our faith gets lived out in our homes, in our families. And that makes this section of Scripture very important. Today is Father's Day, and as we begin our time in God's Word together, I'd like for those of you who live in a household in which children still live at home to consider how it went in your house this week. How'd it go? Those of you who are parents, did you witness love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in the lives of your children? Those of you who are children, did you witness love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in your parents? And obviously, if you don't have children at home, spouses to each other or whatever the case may be. If not, why not? Could it be because the children aren't obeying their parents? Or could it be that the parents are provoking their children to anger? What we're supposed to be doing is bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Hopefully you've had a chance to find that. If you have, please stand with me. I'm going to read these four verses. This is Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Let's pray together, please. Our Father, we thank you for being our Father, for allowing us to come to you freely in prayer through the finished work of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for how practical your word is, and we pray that you would help us to understand it and apply it today that each person here would recognize how he or she is hearing from you. Lord, may the soil of our hearts be ready to receive the seed of your word. I pray that you would anoint me by your Holy Spirit to teach your word accurately, that it would make sense. 
that it would be easy for us today to make application to our own lives, that your Holy Spirit would guide us in that process. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. We've been in Mark for a year, and it's harder, at least for me, I don't know if it is for you listening, to jump into a passage without context. So I'm going to give you a very brief context. If you like to underline or circle in your Bible, I'm going to give you a couple things in the previous chapter. Ephesians 5, verse 2, Paul instructs us to walk in love. That's the first one, walk in love. We're supposed to love one another. And our walk, our lifestyle is supposed to display that. A few verses later, verse 8, he tells us to walk as children of light. Walk in the light. Not in the shadows, not in shame, not in indecent things, but walk in light. Our God is holy. We sang about that a few minutes ago. And we are supposed to walk in the light of his truth. That's what he follows it up with in verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then there's one more walk in verse 15. See that you walk circumspectly. Probably didn't use that word this week. Looking around. Look around. Be alert as you walk. Not as fools, but as wise. So that third one is to walk in wisdom. We're supposed to walk in love, walk in the light, and walk in wisdom. And he goes on to explain that. Verse 17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the opposite of Foolishness, being unwise, is being wise, and that means knowing what God's will is. What is God's will? That is verse 18. Don't be drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That's what wisdom looks like. To walk in wisdom is to be filled with the Spirit. And he finishes that section. We have it broken as a chapter break. Sorry, it's halfway through the chapter. Verse 21, the end of that section before... The section on husbands and wives says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. What does this look like? To walk in wisdom is to be filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? It means to submit to one another in the fear of God. So far he said, walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom to be filled with the Spirit. And how do we live that out? By submitting to one another in the fear of God. And from there he talks about husbands and wives. And we're not going to get into that today. That'll be for another time excellent, well-known passage on what the husband-wife relationship is supposed to look like. That takes up the rest of the chapter from 22 to 33. And then he continues looking at the Christian home, believers, how they're supposed to interact within their households. And that's where we are today, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. But this does not work unless we are spirit-filled, submitting to one another. I have three main ideas. Three main points, and if this is too much verbiage for you, I'm going to put it in eight words in a couple minutes. So, First, for today, young children, obey your parents. And I'm saying young children on purpose. We'll define that and talk about which group that is. Young children, obey your parents, verse 1. Verses 2 and 3, second point, all children, honor your parents. Third point, fathers, don't exasperate your children but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's verse four. So as I see it, there are three groups being addressed in this passage. Young children, children of any age who still have parents living, and then fathers 
specifically, and parents in general. Those are the groups. So I realize that as practical as this is, it has varying degrees of application to our congregation. I realize that. For some of you, verse 1 is what's going to apply to you. For some of you, verse 2, if your parents aren't living, it's hard to live that out. But that may be the only one that applies to you, verses 2 and 3. And then verse 4 is going to be for parents who still have children living with them in the home. To some extent, probably parenting beyond when they're in the home. But my prayer this week as I've studied this is that the Holy Spirit will show you areas in which perhaps the parent-child relationship isn't what is needed in your life right now, but there may be another relationship that you can apply these same principles to. So first point for this morning, young children, obey your parents. That's verse one. I'm going to read it again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. When we're talking about children, this refers to anyone any child of any age who's still living with his parents. So you could be 6, 8, 12, or over 20. And if you are still choosing to live at home under your parents' roof, according to this passage, according to the meaning of this word, it describes you. You're supposed to obey your parents. What does it mean to obey your parents? Literally, it's hearing under. So we're talking about Hearing and submitting, hearing and obeying. Sometimes we use listen to your parents to mean the same thing as obey your parents, because it does. We've talked about the, the biblical meaning of the word hear, to pay attention with the intention of obeying. This is similar to that. That obedience is to put yourself under the authority of another. The, the meaning outside the Bible of this word is talking about a soldier who is about to enter into battle and he's receiving his orders. Do you think it is in his best interest to pay attention? Do you think it's important if you're a soldier going into battle where you could get killed that you listen to the instructions and be where you're supposed to be and do what you're supposed to do? I think so. Some of you may know this story, but when our kids were younger, we were living here by then and the park at Northwest. There's the playground there, and then there are the, the line of cars, and then traffic is right there. And there was one time, Rochelle and I were walking, and one of our kids came off the playground between two cars, and there was no way for the car that was coming to see him. And we yelled, stop! And he did. And everything was fine. But parents, that's what you're training your children for. It's not like we've done everything perfectly, but in that moment, by God's grace, he stopped, and he was safe. And if he had not stopped, he would not have been safe. And so young people who are in the room, I'm talking to those of you who are still living with your parents. It is very important that you listen to your parents and obey your parents because it's for your own good. It's for your safety. That's what the word obey means. And obedience is to both parents. And there are lots of verses we could look at, but I'm going to show you one. Proverbs 1.8 says, My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. It's to both parents. It's not like you have to obey your dad but not your mom or vice versa. If you have both parents in the home, you are supposed to obey, guess what? Both parents. Listen to them and heed what they say. It says in the Lord. So does that mean that I have to obey my parents only if they're believers? 
Maybe I'm a child who's a believer and my parents or one of my parents is not a believer. Does that mean, ha, I'm off the hook? No. It means that if I am in the Lord, I am supposed to obey my parents. That's the relationship that's being set out here. Coming back to what we read in our scripture reading a few minutes ago, Luke 2, 51 and 52, talking about Jesus. Then he went down with his parents and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. And then he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Part of that was his obedience to his parents, being subject to them. Although he was perfect, he chose to be subject to his parents. Now, I'm going to say more about the parents' role when we get to verse 4 in a few minutes. But for now, I told you I was going to give you the whole thing in eight words. So if you like to write things down, just write this down and you'll have all of it. If you can remember anything I say today, please remember this. Children, obey your parents. Parents, make obedience easy. And we'll explain what I mean by that, but make obedience easy. I'm taking that from seemingly a random quote I found in one of my commentaries. The guy who said that, there's a longer paragraph obviously, was Sir Robert Anderson, and he was head of Scotland Yard in his day. But apparently a believer talking about submission to parents, submission to government, that kind of thing. And he said, make obedience easy. Where it says in verse 1, this is right, another translation says, this is the right thing to do. How? Why? What makes it the right thing to do? Because this follows God's commandment. We're about to look at one of the Ten Commandments in verses 2 and 3. What makes it right for children to obey their parents? That the Lord says so. God says so, that makes it right. That makes it just. So that was the first point. Simple as it may be, young children, obey your parents. What does that mean? That means to listen and then do what they say. Second point, all children, honor your parents. So verse 1 talks about the action. Verse 2 and 3 talks more about the attitude behind the action. Verse 2 says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. He's quoting here Exodus and Deuteronomy. So when a child gets married, or when a child moves out, the relationship to his parents changes. It is supposed to change. It needs to change. That's the way God designed it. So rather than obeying, now the lifelong command is to honor. To give honor to your parents. To honor, according to Warren Wearsby says, means much more than simply obeying. It means to show your parents respect and love, to care for them as long as they need us, and to seek to bring honor to them by the way we live. Jesus touched on this. Some of the leaders of his day were denying their obligation to care for their aging parents because it wasn't like we have today. There, There weren't retirement accounts. There weren't nursing homes. It was your responsibility to care for your parents, if anybody was. And that's one practical example of the way this command to honor your father and mother 
plays out. It is a lifelong command. What does it mean that it's the first commandment with promise? It's not the very first commandment in the Bible that has a promise. Depending on how you look at it, it's not even the first one in the Ten Commandments. But it is directed at children, and it is the first thing for them to learn. To learn to obey their parents. And this one has a promise. To honor your father and mother, that's the way the, the commandment is worded. There's a promise that goes with it. What is the promise? That it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Does that mean that you're going to live into your 90s if you obey your parents? Well, not necessarily. You may personally know people who lived to an old age, but they didn't honor their parents. Or you may know someone who absolutely obeyed while he or she was at home and then honored his or her parents and yet died young. So it's not a universal promise in that sense, but according to the rabbis, it's not even necessarily talking about a long life in terms of quantity of years. It's talking about a good life of God's blessing in terms of quality of those years. Now Paul shifts his focus. It's been on children so far. Children, young children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Everyone, honor your father and mother. This comes with a promise that you will live long in the land. But now he changes the focus from the children to the parents, and that's our third point for this morning. Parents in general, and fathers in particular, don't exasperate your children but bring them up in the discipline instruction of the Lord. Here's verse four. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now we need to know if it's talking about fathers, is that to parents, mothers and fathers, or does it mean fathers? And that's a fair question. And the reason that I worded what's in my notes the way I just did is I believe this is parents in general and fathers in particular. So what we're going to say to fathers in particular this morning applies to mothers. In many cases, mothers have a greater influence and often have more time with their children to do some of these things. But we're going to focus on what the Bible says here, and that's the fathers. Why, Bob, do you think it's not? Because if you have a study Bible, you check it out. You likely have a little note there that says that this is for parents. This could be mothers and fathers because of Hebrews, which is true. But this Greek word that we have here as fathers is used 419 times in the New Testament. And sometimes it means God the Father, so we would capitalize it. And sometimes it means earthly fathers, so we would not capitalize it. So that makes up 418 of the times that this word is translated in the New Testament. It is translated as fathers. And one time, it is translated parents. And that's the verse in Hebrews. Hebrews 11.23 describes Moses' parents, Amram and Jochebed, that they were not afraid that they hid him to protect him instead of obeying what was an ungodly king's edict. So it can be translated parents. And we can apply it to parents. But to me, if 418 out of 419 times it's fathers, it's probably Paul's writing to fathers. My opinion, you study it out and decide what you want. It certainly applies to parents, both mothers and fathers, but we're going to direct it at fathers because I believe that's what Paul's doing. So the instruction is for parents in general, but for fathers in particular, what is the instruction? So often when we read Paul's letters, his epistles, he'll say something negative 
followed by something positive. Don't do this, but instead do that. I've already read it once in what I was reading in Ephesians earlier. Romans does the same thing. So there's a negative and a positive. In this case, the negative comes first. It usually does. What is the negative command? Do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't provoke your children to wrath. Simple enough. Let's go home. What does that mean? It is good for us to read the Word of God. We must. It is good for us to study the Word of God so that we know what we're reading. To provoke means to exasperate. In fact, if you have a different translation, that may be the word that you have here. Exasperate, to anger. Someone else said to stir up or to irritate. Don't irritate your children. Now, I was feeling brave or stupid, you decide. But I asked my children this week, in what ways I have irritated them or provoked them. One of my children spoke up and said, when I have an earache or something and I can't hear, and I say, I can't hear you, and you say, what? And I say, I can't hear you. What? That irritates me. I'm guilty as charged. I've done that. I was thankful that was the first thing and one of the main things they come up, came up with. There are times we irritate our children. There are times we tease our children. Something that is done in love and received in love is not really what we're talking about here. It's not saying that you can never joke or give your kids a hard time, but what is the heart behind it? So I'm going to share with you a list. And where possible, I'm going to share verses with you. And I'm depending on you, if you hear something that I don't think I agree with that, you go to the Word and see if you disagree based on the Word of God, what I'm telling you. But I'm going to give you what I believe is biblically-based, godly counsel, and I'm not even going to tell you how many are on my list, because this is much longer than normal lists I give you. I don't care whether you write it all down. I'm not putting it on the screen on purpose, because I want you to listen, I want you to think, I want you to apply. And if any of you want the entire list, I'll be glad to print it for you, email it to you, text it to you, whatever. But here's the first one. Actually, the first two combined something because recently we were with Rochelle's uncle and he's the oldest member of either of our families right now. He's, I believe, going to be 93 next January. He's a man of God. He's an elder of his church, somebody who's loved the Lord a long time. I, I consider him to be one who gives godly counsel. So when we were at his house a couple weeks ago, I said, I'm going to be preaching on Father's Day on don't provoke your children to wrath. What does that mean to you? What do you think? And he thought a minute, and he said, I've seen some fathers who kind of fell off in the ditch one way, and it was to be too strict with their children. And it doesn't go well. And I've seen other fathers who didn't discipline their children at all and fell off the ditch on the other side, and it didn't go well. And so your, your goal is to be somewhere in the middle in order not to provoke your children. And those, these are my first two. Avoid overindulgence. How can you provoke your children to wrath? By overindulgence. And, and we know what this means. This means to spoil your kid. Grandmothers tend to be good at this, just to be honest. And, and there's a certain amount of loving and even showering maybe gifts on a child. But there's a point at which that becomes bad and particularly by the parents. And in this case, we're talking about the fathers. So what would that look like? 
in the case of a father. There's a shocking, in my opinion, statement about David in 1 Kings 1. It's about Adonijah. And, and we know that there were many dysfunctions in the family of David. He had multiple wives. That is not God's plan. He, because of that, he had many, many children. And some of them did not turn out well. Adonijah thought he wanted to be king. And the statement that's made in verse 6 of 1 Kings 1 is that his father, David, had not rebuked him at any time. Wow. He never told him no. He never told him to stop that. He never corrected him. That's not parenting, according to the Bible. That's not love, according to the Bible. So you cannot overindulge your child without ultimately provoking your child. The other side, though, is being overly strict. Ecclesiastes 7.16 says, do not be overly righteous. We can think, I, want to, I love God, I want to serve God, I want to do things right. He's holy, he said that we're supposed to be holy, and I'm going to have 5,000 rules for our household. And my children must be able to recite them to me in order. Number 267. And I'm exaggerating to try to be funny, but we know this happens. That there are so many rules that this kid doesn't know what to do. Scared to death, he's going to mess up again. She's going to cry easily because she's, she's insecure. She doesn't know. I didn't even know that was a rule. And that level of strictness is going to provoke your children to wrath, and we are told not to do it. What about being inconsistent? So we've said, don't fall off in the ditch this way. Don't fall off that way. What if we just keep going back and forth? And it depends on what mood dad is in when he comes home from work. That he may be ready to play, or he may be angry, and I'm going to be in trouble for whatever I did. Consistency is going to bring security to our kids. Don't be overly strict and don't be overly lenient, and certainly don't swing the pendulum back and forth. Next, we can provoke our children to wrath by being cruel or harsh, belittling our kids ridiculing our children, putting our children down, often with sarcasm. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Fathers, are the words that you're speaking to your children building them up? Are they offering them grace? Are they words filled with grace? If they're not, if instead you're cutting your kids down, mocking them, speaking harshly to them, you're going to provoke them to wrath. By being unclear, you haven't communicated your expectations, and yet you're holding that child to a standard that you haven't communicated or haven't communicated clearly. Before you discipline your children... Stop and ask yourself, was I clear? I'm going to give you a silly illustration. One of our children, and we were discussing this morning, I'm not even sure which one it was, one time got the idea, when this child was young, to eat all of the marshmallows that we had in the pantry. Everything we had. 
emptied the bag. Now, had we ever said, do not eat all the marshmallows in the pantry? No, it had never occurred to me to say, don't eat all the marshmallows that are in the pantry. So we did not discipline that child for that offense. We did have a conversation about asking before you have a snack, about eating too much sweets, about asking before you have marshmallows, things like that. And we tried to be very clear so that next time if you do this, there will be a consequence for it. But not when the child didn't know. We must be clear, otherwise we're going to tend to provoke our children to wrath. Closely related to that, we can provoke our children to wrath by setting an unreasonable expectation. We need to recognize the difference between childishness and foolishness. Childishness is eating all the marshmallows out of the pantry. I don't know any better. Climbing up in the dishwasher. In my opinion, we should not ever be disciplining our children for something that was accidental. When your child decides to wash the car like daddy with a rock and goes down the side of your van, that hurt. But that was not a discipline issue because it was childish. It was not foolish. I knew the truth and I disregarded the truth. If your kid spills the milk, if your kid breaks the lamp and it was an accident, you shouldn't be disciplining for that. Unless, and I'm going to add this one caveat, unless you had just told the kid to stop doing something or to do something, and by disobeying that direct order, something happens. Now you have a different conversation because you are correcting based on what the child disobeyed, not the accident. You want another way to cause your child grief and anguish, discipline them in anger. Parents, we should not ever be disciplining our children in anger. It's not going to go anywhere good for the child or for us. You need to wait until you have calmed down and can discipline that child calmly, that it's not an emotional response. Or it may be that you don't discipline at all for that situation. What do you mean, Bob? I need to parent this kid. Yes, you do. But some really wise advice I heard from Paul David Tripp a long time ago is, if you're not sure or you don't have control of yourself, let it go. Because God in his grace is going to give you another opportunity with that child. It's going to come up again. The Lord's going to reveal that heart again, and you're going to have the opportunity to correct. About anger. Ephesians 4.26 tells us, be angry and do not sin. If you don't have control of yourself, don't try to correct your child's lack of self-control. James 1.19, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Another one, by disciplining them publicly, we should not be disciplining our children in front of their friends or even in front of their siblings. Show me that in the Bible. I can't show you that exact thing in the Bible, but the principle is in Matthew 18. When we correct someone, anyone, who is doing wrong, the object is to have the fewest people possible involved. And what it says in Matthew 
14, 15 is, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, privately. Another way for you to provoke your child to wrath is to withhold love and affection. Something like, if you do that again, I won't love you anymore. Or, mommy's not talking to you, daddy's not talking to you right now. That will provoke your child to wrath. Love does not reject other people. Because you and I sin daily. Does God ever do that to you? Yes, I know. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I know, that, that's true. But that's hanging on to it. God is not going to stiff arm me and withhold his love from me or take away my salvation when I sin against him. Yes, there is distance. There needs to be, we talked about just last week about forgiveness and restoring relationship and how that looks. But we should not be withholding love and affection from our kids when they do wrong. Rather, I want my children to know there is nothing that you can do to change my love for you. Nothing. Good, bad, indifferent. My love for you, as God helps me, is like his love for me, and it doesn't change. And you can always receive forgiveness and restore that relationship. Yes, there are consequences for our sin. But my love for you will not change based on your actions. When we allow our emotions, anger, withholding love and affection, to affect our relationship to our kids, we're going to provoke them to anger. Here's another one. By playing favorites. Never treat one of your children better than the other. Don't, don't show favoritism in that way. I had a project I had to do in college for a class, and in it we were supposed to write a paper describing the dysfunctions of Jacob's family. Actually, Isaac and Rebecca. So we were supposed to do multiple generations. So Isaac and Rebecca. And as you probably remember, I saw... I, try that again. Isaac loved Esau and Rebecca loved Jacob. And you would think Jacob had learned from that. And what did Jacob turn around and do? I have a favorite wife. I have a favorite son, Joseph. How'd that go, guys? It goes very badly, very quickly. You want to provoke your children to wrath? Play favorites. Now, granted, I was in a family of three. My kids are in a family of four. They're going to think that you're playing favorites. You like so-and-so better than me. As long as not everybody agrees that that one's the favorite, you're probably doing okay. If they all think somebody else is, don't worry about it. What about comparing your children? Why can't you do this more like your sister? Why can't you do that like your brother? Whether it's a behavior thing, whether it's a talent thing, an athletic thing, don't compare your kids. Your job as the father is to find out what their strengths are and their weaknesses and to encourage them to pursue their strengths or to, to build up their weaknesses as much as they can. By pressuring your children to achieve. Want to talk about kids' sports, anybody? Reliving your glory days through your kid? Please don't put the emphasis on achievement or academics or music, or whatever. 
What's required in us? Because are, are you, any of you Olympic athletes? Are any of you scholars that everyone comes to for advice? And we're the adults. So why would you expect your kid to be that? Why would you push your kid to be that? What are we expected to do biblically? What does the Bible say for us? 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found, what's the next word, anybody know? Faithful. Faithfulness. So if your child is struggling in school, is he or she being faithful to the abilities and skills that God's given? If so, cheer that on. If that's a C, fine. If your kid can get an A, then faithfulness probably looks like an A. If your kid is doing well to get C's, faithfulness is a C. Cheer on the faithfulness. Same thing with sports. Same thing with music. If your child is being faithful, if your child's not doing the work, if the child's not studying, that's a different story. But if he or she's doing the best to his or her ability, celebrate that, that it's faithfulness. There's a parallel passage, and it's Colossians 3.21. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. You want to provoke your children to wrath? Discourage them. Tear them down with your words. Tear them down with your attitudes toward them. Mock their failures. Why don't you just give up on that hobby? That, that's not going anywhere. There's probably a better way to say that. It may be that baking mechanics is not that child's thing. Let them experiment. Let them find out what their skills are and encourage them in the directions in which they're showing some strength and some ability. But don't tear them down for failure. Otherwise, you may discourage them, which is the way he says to the Colossians that you are tearing your children down and provoking them to wrath. This easily could have been the very top one. Be a hypocrite. Be a different person at home around your family than you are at work or at church or out in the neighborhood. Because your kids see through that. You want to drive them away from... Provoke them to wrath... Drive them away from Christianity entirely. Then be a lazy bum at home who barks orders and doesn't practice anything he preaches. You'll drive your kids away from yourself and the Lord. Paul said the opposite to the Philippians. Chapter 4, verse 9 says, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me do... He was the example. We can provoke our children to wrath by not listening to them. And that works a couple of ways. One, if I give the impression that my kid, that's not important to me right now. My work is important to me right now. This other thing, this hobby, this ball game, this TV program is important to me right now. You're not important to me right now can provoke them to wrath. And I struggle with these things. I'm looking, my kids are right over there. There are ways in which I fail in these. But I desire to let them know that they're first and that they have access to me. Here's another one. What if it's a discipline situation? You just walked in the room or you just got home from work and you see how you think it is and you're going to discipline based on that exactly. You are interested in the story. You don't want to hear any of it. 
I won't ask you to show your hands, but I, I would imagine there are other parents in the room who have reacted in the wrong way, either overreacted and disciplined too harshly or disciplined the wrong kid. I'm seeing smiles. You guys have done this. We are supposed to listen. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. You want to be a fool? Jump to conclusions with your kids. Another way is by not spending time with our children. Whether that's not being around at all or not being engaged with them when we are around them. Put down the phone or the book or the newspaper or the remote or whatever. It, show them you're interested in them. Take time to be with them. Again, I'm preaching it myself too. We got to make them a priority. The way I see it, as a man who is married and has children, particularly children at home, my first relationship is with God. My spiritual, the vertical, that, that is first and foremost, that has to be. The second is not the kids, it's their mom. It's my wife. But the next relationship is to the kids. And they need to know that. They need to know that's the order. And one way they'll do that is if they see me making an effort to spend time with them. Last one, I'm sure there could be many more. Some of you are thinking, that was a lot. Yes, but the last one I'm going to mention for this morning is by not keeping our promises to our children. Don't say something you don't mean. If it's something small like taking them for ice cream or it's a big trip to Disney or, or an amusement park, whatever it may be, keep your word. And if not, tell them that was a rash oath. <laughs> and maybe you need to keep it anyway. But be honest. Be a person, a man of your word. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. All right, that was the bulk of my sermon. Those of you who are really nervous or looking at your watches, it, it's going to be okay. But that was the negative command. Don't provoke your children to wrath. Now we're going to look at the positive command. It, it's summed up in, in three phrases the way I see it. First is to bring them up to nourish up to maturity, to nurture, to bring up. This is the same word that was in the last chapter, speaking of husbands and wives. Ephesians 5.29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, talking to the husbands, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, that's our word, and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Someone said the Christian husband is to nourish his wife and his children by sharing love and encouragement in the Lord. It is not enough to nurture the children physically by providing food, shelter, and clothing. He must also nurture them emotionally and spiritually. You providing for your family financially? Great, good job. That's not the end. That's the beginning. You need to provide for their emotional and spiritual needs to lead them, to teach them, because that's the next one. In the training, the discipline, learning through discipline. So that this one is more of the action. The next one's more about the words of how we're going to teach our kids. So disciplinary correction, another Bible word would be chastening. Let's look at this for a second. 2 Timothy 3.16, familiar verse, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Here's our word, for instruction or training in righteousness. That's our word here, the training. But it can also be translated chastening. 
Hebrews 12, 11. Now no chastening or discipline seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's talking about the training of discipline as well as, we would think more of instruction, educational training. It's both. So if you love your children, you will teach them, and part of teaching them is disciplining them. I can, I can switch that around and say it the other way. If you don't love your children, you will not discipline them. Where are you getting that? Several verses in Proverbs we could look at. I'm going to give you one. Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares his rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Young people, we just read in Hebrews, I'm not saying it's fun. It's not fun for your parents either. But there will be loving, appropriate discipline if your parent loves you. And we're talking mostly to the dads today. If your father loves you, he will discipline you. And he won't do it in the ways we were already talking about. Excessively strict or in anger. But if he loves you, he will discipline you. That's what God does with us, isn't it? Isn't he our example as a heavenly father? Warren Rusby said, consistent loving discipline gives assurance to a child. He may not agree with it, but he knows that his parent cares enough to put some protective walls, some boundaries around him. There's security for a child in having some boundaries. Not overly strict, but they've got to be there. Last phrase there is, in the admonition of the Lord. Admonition means instruction, but it can also be translated encouragement. See, they both mean instruction. But the first one is more going to be action. The second one's going to be more of words. And I find it interesting, if, if a parallel to admonition here, a synonym is encouragement, then that makes it the opposite of what we read in Colossians 3.21. The, the parallel passage says, fathers provoke not your children, don't discourage them. So this is the opposite of discouragement. It's encouraging the children, admonishing them, calling attention to. Uh, this can mean a mild rebuke or warning. So if we put all this together, I know it's been a long time since we started with verse 1, but children are supposed to obey in the Lord, verse 1. Parents are supposed to train and instruct in the Lord. So if the Lord is the center of our relationships, if he is the one directing us, then it's going to work out great because the children are going to be obeying and the parents are not going to be disciplining in a way that brings anger into the hearts of their children, bitterness, resentment. Who's responsible to do this? It's both parents. But ultimately, it's the father. I am responsible for the spiritual well-being of my children. Now, I'm thankful to have a great partner in that, and, and she has done a splendid job, particularly when they were younger, and I had no idea how to say anything to that kid, and, and she could do it. God gifts our, our wives, I believe, in that way, that they can relate to the, the children better than some of us can. But you can, you can look up on your own, Deuteronomy 6, 7, Deuteronomy eleven nineteen, talking about all the ways, all the times that we're supposed to be speaking to our children in the morning, in the day, speaking constantly the words of life to our children. And here's, here's a promise from Proverbs, uh, not a universal guarantee, 
you can do everything right, so to speak, and a child can still rebel. But the way it normally works, God has set up that if you train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Point him on the path. Get your arrows headed in the right direction. And then let him go. And by God's grace, with his help, if the children are going to cooperate, then you put them on the right path. They are going to follow in the Lord's ways throughout their lives. Now, as we wrap this up, I realize today has been primarily to fathers and it's been primarily to believers. And there could be somebody with us in person or online that you have never started a relationship with God. We do that through Jesus. And the great part about that is that we can have a relationship with the one and only perfect father. How do we do that? John 1.12 tells us how to do that. But as many as received him, talking about Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who what? Believe on his name. How do you become a child of God? How do you have the God of the universe as your father? How do you have that relationship with him? Through Jesus. You call on the name of the Lord and you're saved. You believe in your heart that he is the redeemer. He's the one who died in your place for your and my sin. He took the penalty of my sin. He took death so that I would not have to die and be separated from God eternally. And when I believe that, when I call on him, he will save me, and this says he will make me his child. We can read more about that other places, about the adoption that we receive. So the three main ideas for today, young children, obey your parents. All children, honor your parents. Parents in general, fathers in particular, don't exasperate, don't provoke your children, but bring them up in the training and in the discipline, the instruction of the Lord. Are you doing that? Believers, believing children, are you obeying your parents? Are you listening so that you will know how to obey, what to do? Those of us who have parents who are still living, are you honoring them? There's not a limit there on are they good, are they kind, are they loving, are they easy to love, are they easy to honor, are they believers? It, there aren't exceptions there. To the extent that you can, are you showing honor to living parents? And then for those of us who are still parenting, particularly if they're still in our homes, are you helping your children learn to obey and are you making that as easy as possible? Those are the eight words. Children obey your parents. Parents make obedience easy. How? by not provoking your children to wrath. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? I said at the beginning, I've been praying that the Lord would direct you, that his Holy Spirit would show you what he has for you in his word today. This is his word. He has spoken. So how is the Holy Spirit prompting you? Is there something that you need to do differently? Something you need to stop doing? Something you need to start doing? Something you need to start doing again? If there's something that needs to change, then you call out to God right now from where you are 
and ask him for the help to make that change. Young people, that may mean you need to be obeying your parents. Might be that the action's been wrong or the hard attitude's been wrong. There may, may be a child or adult in the room that you have not been honoring your parents. And the Holy Spirit is leading you to make changes there. You may need to make some apologies today. Maybe there's a mother or father in the room that you recognized yourself and you're desiring to make some changes in the way you parent. You may need to make some apologies today to ask for forgiveness. I don't claim to know what it is. I am not the Holy Spirit. But he's here with us. And as you listen, I'm praying that you'll obey and that you'll respond to what he's showing you. Father, we pray that you would continue to work in our hearts. Your word is truth. And I pray that you would sanctify us, set us apart, cleanse us, make us more like you through the truth of your word. In your power and by your grace, I pray that we would live the way we've been studying today, the way Paul was admonishing families to function. And it would work because we're humbly submitting to one another in love. May each of us in our homes be spirit-filled so that the fruit of the Spirit would be manifest in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.